Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com you're the mom the maid the keeper of the cookies you do it all and you look good doing it it's parenthood on a mother level here's your host denise hanitka Hello, you are listening to a brand new episode of On a Mother Level. I'm your host, Denise Hanitka, and this is episode 98. A couple things to share with you before this episode gets started. Number one, I lived a dream this weekend because I went to Chicago to see a performance of my very favorite podcaster. Her name is Heather McDonald. Her podcast is called Juicy Scoop. It's all celebrity gossip, reality television, Real Housewives of whatever city. Um, It is twice weekly plus premium content for bonus subscribers every Friday. And I love her podcast. She's been doing it for about five years. And I love her for several reasons. Number one, she is a fellow boy mom. She has two boys. They are older. One's in high school. One is a freshman in college. And she always talks about how moms absorb the energy of whatever gender their children are so she talks about the differences between what she believes are boy moms who have sucked up their like boy energy and girl moms who suck up girl girl drama um it's one of those jokes that you have to hear her perform but it makes me laugh the other thing that she does that makes me laugh is um she's been married to her husband peter for over 20 years and so she always talks about how she's married I mean, happily, I guess. Overall, it's fine. But it just makes me laugh that she's very honest about that. And um, she's just funny. She's very real. And she inspires me on this podcast because whenever some celebrity comes out and says like, oh, yay, I'm starting a podcast, her attitude about it is always like, great. You're about to see how hard it is to have a podcast. Enjoy your 12 episodes before you burn out because it's really difficult coming up with content, releasing stuff on time, balancing it with when you want to take time off. So she is just to me, the picture of hard work when it comes to podcasting. She has never missed an episode, and so she inspires me on that level. So I bought tickets a long time ago when I found out she was coming to Chicago, and I brought my friend Johnny Gindrich with me. So we went to this performance. It was at the City Winery in Chicago, and there was a little meet and greet afterwards. And of course, like the big nerdo that I am, I got the meet and greet tickets also. And like, you know, I'd had a couple cocktails, you know, like as one does. 
And so when it was time to meet her, I got really nervous because the guy who was running the whole like meeting line was like, you know, you have two seconds with her. You take your photo and you turn around and you go, you know, because there's a huge line of people there to talk to her. So, so when I went up to her, it just felt so like, I don't know, it was such an intimidating process. So I just like stood next to her, took the photo. And then like, as we were walking away, like I kind of realized like I didn't say anything to her. So I kind of just like last ditch, like throughout like a, Hey, Heather, like, thanks so much. You're awesome. Like keep being you, whatever. Um, but yeah, so I realized that I didn't even like walk up to her and say, hi, Heather, I'm Denise. I love your show. You know, thanks so much. Like I didn't say anything to her. I was just like very intimidated by the whole process. Um, so, (laughs) so now I'm going to have to go to another show and, and do the meet and greet all over again because I'm a moron and I cannot interact socially in an appropriate way. Then the craziest thing was as I'm leaving the venue in Chicago, by the way, we're like getting our Uber and I hear kind of like, Denise, Denise, like, but I'm just like, I'm in Chicago. Like, there's just no way. So I didn't like, so I heard them yell Denise a couple of times and I finally turned and there's a group of like five or six ladies there who are hollering at me. And they ended up being from the Quad Cities. And they were also at the Juicy Scoop show. So to the ladies from Bettendorf, hi. Thank you so much for saying hi in Chicago, of all places. That was crazy cool. I'm sorry if I was, like, weird and a little bit drunk. Um, You know, what are you going to do? Um, um, like I said, I can't interact socially. I don't, I don't know what my issue is. So, you know, my apologies in advance for, um, just being a weirdo. Anywho, um, so that was awesome. So that made me feel great. Um, it was an overall great weekend in Chicago. Awesome getaway with my friend Johnny. She, um, used to anchor, uh, here at Channel 8 with me and I miss her dearly every day at work. So, anywho, that was my weekend. Now, this episode today is actually rather timely. The guest that I have on is named Jenny Elliott, and she is the host of Career Mom Podcast. And we get into what it means to be a career mom, a corporate mom in specifically speaking, and we talk about the different ways that our jobs do and do not support our work at home as moms. And it's very timely because right now everyone's talking about Pete Buttigieg. He is the Secretary of Transportation, and he is on paid paternity leave right now after the birth of his twins with his husband. And he's being criticized because he's off the job right now while there is a supply chain crisis happening and an infrastructure bill stuck in Congress. And so a lot of people are saying, get this guy back to work, paternity leave, what a bunch of crap. You know, what is this? He says, it's helped us have a conversation finally about parental leave, and every American ought to be able to get paid parental leave, something that the president believes in and has proposed, and it's something that I believe in. He continued to say, when parents take that parental leave, they need to be supported in making that choice. Buttigieg acknowledged the negative impact parental leave stigmas can have on women who find their ability to get ahead in their careers influenced by these judgments, and he shared his perspective on why men should use it. He says, if there's this idea that maybe men have access to paternity leave, but it's frowned on if they actually used it, then obviously that doesn't work for a marriage like mine, but also for a man who's married to a woman, Buttigieg said. 
that carries with it the assumption that the woman is going to do all the work, and that makes no sense in the 21st century. So Jenny and I get into the concept of paternity leave, and I'll give you a little spoiler alert. So my hot take on paternity leave is not that I don't like paternity leave, but what I don't like is when we give men paternity leave, but we're not talking about giving women more paternity leave. I guess it would be, in their case, maternity leave. So here's, here's what my issue is. We have companies going out of their way to give men 12 weeks of paternity leave. Super helpful for a lot of families. However, what I hear, and I know you've heard as longtime listeners of this show, is that time and time again, women are coming on this podcast and telling me, I went back to work after six weeks. I went back to work after eight weeks. So when we direct our energy to giving men paternity leave, we're not directing our energy towards giving women the at least 12 weeks that they deserve. And so I feel like we're offering benefits to the wrong place. Now, ideally, everybody has a paternity leave and maternity leave system that is beneficial for their families. But right now, that's not how it works. And I'm sick and tired of women coming on here and telling me they had C-sections and then they went back to work after six weeks. But oh, by the way, their husband, who did not have their guts ripped open, now gets 12 weeks of paternity leave. I don't know. I just think that there is the energy being directed in the wrong place. I think it's more complex when you have um, adoptions and you have this case of Pete Buttigieg. You know, you don't have someone who's birthing the child. And adoptive parents are just as important as birth parents. I don't want to get into the nuance of those sorts of things. But my hot take on paternity leave is I just don't think that we should give men paternity leave and then not address women's maternity leave and then call it good. I hope I'm explaining myself properly and I realize that there was a lot of nuance here so I just wanted to explain that ahead of my paternity leave hot take that comes later on in this episode. So Jenny Elliott is here. She is the mother of a son and um, trigger warning on this episode would be that we do talk about loss and it's something very personal to Jenny and so um, this is a great conversation And I hope you will check out Jenny and her show, Career Mom Podcast, and enjoy this interview. So the place that I want to start, first of all, um, you've returned to the podcast, you took a little creativity break, and worked on a website, so you were very productive behind the scenes. How are you feeling being back in the game? I'm feeling good. Um, Website building is not for me. (laughs) but I've got it to a place where like, I know the bare minimum that I need to do to keep it up. Um, but I, I kind of needed the break from the actual podcast in order to try something different and, and creative in a a different way, because it's just such a grind to like put a podcast together. And there's so much more that goes into it. So it was good to have a little break, but then when I've started re-recording episodes and like interviewing guests and whatever. It's like, this is what I love about the podcast. And that has kind of re-energized me as well. Okay. So I think the space was a really good time to just, I did nothing for the first month or two of it. And then to just figure out a more intentional way, more efficient way um, to move forward. I took a break like that last year because we were in the middle of the pandemic 
I was doing phone calls at this time because, mm-hmm. you know, Zoom was like, I'm sure I could have figured it out, but it didn't, I wasn't sure about how audio would be. And I wasn't sure what the comfort level of it would be for my guests, but I'm recording these conversations and they were fine, but I started putting out episodes I was no longer proud of. And not because of the guests and not because of, you know, the actual substance of the conversations, but they just, they just weren't filling me. And, and I think it translated to my listeners. And I was like, you gotta, you gotta stop for a minute, yeah. you gotta pause and you gotta figure out like why you're doing this and what you're actually hoping to accomplish. So I totally get that, that need to just like, hold on, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> I kind of really challenged the mindset of like, that I need to be doing every, something all the time. Yeah. You know, like, especially cause I, I also threw myself into the pandemic or into the podcast during the pandemic. Um, cause it was like, Oh, I got all this time now, but I never really like gave myself rest. And I kind of learned that it's hard for me to rest and not do something, but that's just something that I'm, I'm kind of challenging within our, it's definitely part of the mom culture. It's definitely, definitely part of corporate culture and like American culture in general of this whole idea that you need to be working constantly, you know, 120% all the time. And that if you're burnt out or tired, like just push through it. And really like that doesn't serve anyone. And I kind of got to the point too, where like I was doing so many interviews and so much podcast stuff that it wasn't fun anymore. I don't make any money off of my podcast. I would love to in the future, but for right now, it's just a hobby. And so if it's a hobby, it needs to be fun. And then I've learned that in order for it to be fun, I need to like take a break from it here and there and build that kind of rest and just creative void into my schedule around everything. Well, I'm so interested in how you got into the podcast space, because for me, it's like right within my industry wheelhouse, you know, it like, it's, it's not really beyond my comfort zone, but like how much experience did you have with interviewing people or, you know, working with this type of equipment and all of that was brand new for you, right? Yeah, I had none. (laughs) Amazing. I am an accountant, so I am like far from anything technology, like outside of Excel, you know, I'm, a, I'm an Excel wizard, but that doesn't really help you <laughs> put a podcast together. So yeah, um, it's kind of a funny story because I put together a big like training package in my job, which I did some like voiceover recording of uh, like while recording my screen. And so I got really comfortable, like listening to my own voice, which was a big hurdle in that project. And then it kind of started as a joke from there of like, I would work from home every Friday so that I could record this stuff in in quiet. And I would be like, Oh, I got to go to my podcast studio guys. And like, it was kind of a running joke that, you know, my voice was going to be recorded for all of these people at work to listen to. And then at the same time, I was kind of feeling really unfulfilled from that job. And I had tried to get a couple of promotions and it didn't work out. And I was just kind of like, what am I doing? Um, Which is similar to, and I'm sure we'll talk about as well, like the just identity crisis I had when I returned to work. But this was a couple of years after I had talked with so many of my friends about like, 
you know, what does your career mean after you have a kid? And like, why am I working all these hours at this job that like, I'm not fulfilled at. And so I kind of took it as a way to get fulfillment outside of the workplace. And then also in all of these conversations that I was having with other working parents or moms, you know, we'd talk about like how your career goals change after you have a family and how nobody really talks about that and how isolating it is to come back from maternity leave. And I would end these like great conversations being like, why isn't there a podcast about this? And I would try to find working mom podcasts. And at the time, there just wasn't a lot out there or they were, you know, bloggers turned podcasters. So they would talk about, you know, how to get everything done in the naptime hustle and, you know, work while your kids were home. And it's like, I work in a corporate, like that doesn't help me. (laughs) And so one day I was just like, you know, I can Google things and people always say, you know, Google can teach you and YouTube can teach you. And that's exactly what I did. I just started really small I recorded my first couple episodes on my iPhone. Like I didn't have any type of tech. Even right now, the microphone that I use was like $15 off of Amazon. Like you don't need all of the stuff that you think you do. And anytime that I would start being like, well, I need a $200 microphone or I have to have a website before I launch my podcast or whatever, I just kind of would realize that those were things that I was telling myself I needed because I was scared to like put it out there. Yeah. Um, and so one day I just recorded a couple stuff, a couple episodes and threw them out there and started an Instagram page. I thought my mom would be the only one that listened, but I got a lot of like really positive feedback right away. And then it's just kind of grown from there because I think this corporate mom is, you know, I mean, just think about corporate and mom, like (laughs) two very different things. And so there's so many women that are just struggling with the day-to-day working mom issues um, that it really just resonates with a lot of people. Well, yeah. And that is your niche is this concept of the corporate mom, which is different than a working mom, which I never really thought about that until listening to your show, a corporate mom. How do you define a corporate mom? Yeah, I think it's corporate mom or like large organization mom (laughs) is another way to define it. Um, But it's a mom that's working in the structure of exactly that of corporate America of um, up until the pandemic, you prove your worth by FaceTime and being in the office many hours and working as hard as you can and networking and applying for promotions and climbing the ladder and all of these things that the second you have a kid feel impossible. (laughs) And you're balancing sick days with, you know, leaving, physically leaving an office that all of your coworkers know that you're leaving early again, or you have a boss to answer to who has a boss to answer to. So how do you explain yeah, I was gone last week for two days, but now he's sick with something different. So I'm going to be gone for two more days. Plus like, don't worry, I'll still get all of my work done. And like, you, you, you won't be disrupted at all. I promise. Um, so it's kind of that whole, I define it as like that whole answering to like, quote unquote, the man. And you don't really know what the man thinks, but like the man makes you feel guilty for anything related to being a mom. Um, So that's kind of, that's who I'm catering to 
and, and I think it's women that are carrying a different level of mom guilt, but then also some employee guilt of, you know, I, my company has been really good to me and now I'm not performing in the same way I was before. And what does that mean? And so there's a lot, a lot to unpack within that corporate working mom environment. Oh my gosh. You've just given me so much because yes, we have all been there. Oh my God. Like as of very recently where you're, you're literally going, yeah, I know it's never ending. Like it was a fever last week and it's a sore throat this week. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. It is happening again. I just did an episode on that concept with um, another anchor here at the station where we just talked about, thank goodness, like we feel like we're in a situation where we can be honest with our boss and um, feel like we get that support. But do you think that's the majority of women who feel that way or uh, the majority of corporate moms who feel supported in that way or not? Well, I think the other thing that's challenging about the corporate mom is you know, you can have a very supportive manager, but that doesn't mean that every manager is going to like be supportive or that every peer, like there's just so many people and different dynamics. It's hard to kind of know how everyone's going to deal with that. I would say overall, like my company is very supportive, but that's also coming from my perspective of I've had really good managers But when you look at corporate as a whole or more of like what almost like corporate society thinks, I think a lot of us women kind of internalize things that we think are expectations that maybe aren't within our organization, but everything you've been told up until, you know, the point that you give birth is that everybody works 50 hours a week or, you know, there's kind of these underlying things that make it hard that even if you do have a supportive manager that's saying, you know, take the sick day, don't worry about logging on, don't worry about work. They're probably telling you that from a, like a truthful point and they don't expect anything from you, but to go from working, you know, 50 hours a week to then being like, well, I just, I'm going to take this day off and like not produce anything or not work. Like, that's a really hard transition to make. And so I think a lot of corporate moms can be in supportive organizations and environments, but still carry a level of guilt because of how we worked like pre-kids. Right. Um, and I think it, it varies, you know, so, so much between what age and stage your kids are, how much practice you have, like establishing those boundaries and then obviously the the environment of the organization and right now it's it's very i think hit or miss there's unfortunately a lot of women that i think don't feel supportive especially after this pandemic so yeah it's hard because i think a lot of the stuff just like mom guilt we kind of put on ourselves and it's a really hard pattern to break right we internalize the perceptions that we have of other people Um, And we assume that they're uh, thinking the same things about us. You know, when you see somebody take another sick day, sometimes your brain takes you to the place of like, uh, again, and you know, then that that person might be thinking the same about you or, you know, questioning your work ethic or things like that. The episode that I just listened to, and I apologize, I forget her name, but she was the Miss Kentucky. 
Oh yes, Maria. And I love the fact that she admitted I put my career first and I actively made that choice because I have also actively made that choice and then undid that choice. And I don't think I'd ever said that out loud before. Mm -hmm. I loved that episode too, um, because I think there's a lot of women that either intentionally or unintentionally make that choice. And a lot of, I think the negative, you know, stereotypes of, of working moms are the people that have made that choice. And so then when you get to a place that you realize that like, oh my gosh, I just made a decision you know, to take this trip. And does that make me a quote unquote bad mom? And there's just so many ways that that can go. And so for her to say like, yeah, I got myself into this place and I realized that it wasn't good. And I turned it around, I think is just really inspiring because there's so many women that in whatever aspect, I think feel stuck um, in their careers, whether it's like, literally stuck. They don't want to advance or they want to advance, but they feel like they shouldn't because they have kids or they don't know, you know, what their value is in in being a working mom. I think of it as identity. Like what's your identity as a career mom? And to realize that you can have a career and you can be fulfilled by a career and that's okay. I think, I think our culture doesn't show any modeling of like a healthy corporate career mom, because you're either, you know, working part-time and giving up your career, or you're doing what Maria did and just saying yes to everything in your career, because you feel like you need to do that to continue to prove your worth. But I think if, if you reflect enough and you put some boundaries and, and some tactics in place, you can be a very successful career woman and a very good mother. And we don't see or talk about how to do both. Right. Maria described a moment where she skipped a Christmas pageant because she was invited to a work event and didn't feel like perhaps she had the stature in the company or the ability to say no. And um, she ended up getting very upset that night at that event, having missed it. And my Maria moment is the day that um, my husband called and said that my, I think he was two at the time, needed to go get stitches at the ER because he had fallen Um. at daycare. And I was um, working nights at the time and I was supposed to produce the 10 o'clock newscast. And I remember telling my husband, like, I, I need to produce the 10 tonight so you can take him to the ER, right? And he was like, yeah, like, sure, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll do that. And I was like, yeah, because, you know, who's going to produce the 10 if I go get my kids some stitches? I mean, what an idiotic like frame of mind. So I like I was sitting there and my coworkers were like, you should be going to the ER. You understand that, right? And I was like, but but I don't know. Like maybe I don't have to, because who's gonna do this job? I have no idea what led that newscast. No one on the planet remembers that newscast. And that newscast does not matter. And so eventually my coworkers were like, you need to leave. And then yeah. I'm at the ER with my two-year-old and he's getting stitches in his forehead and he's screaming his head off because he's scared and terrified. And I'm, all I can think in my head is like, you idiot, 
you actually thought you didn't need to be here. You Mm -hmm. actually thought that whatever was happening in the news that day was more important than this very moment. Like, I think about that all the time. And I'm like, what a fool, like what a stupid, stupid thing. Yeah. (laughs) Ever thought that I didn't need to be here. Yeah. So that's such an interesting story because I have a kind of similar one, but it took an outside perspective. It took your your peers saying like, uh, go, I think my son was six months maybe. So I had like just kind of gotten back from maternity leave. And I decided that was a good time to take a new job, which there's never a really good time to take a job, but that wasn't as ideal as I thought. Um, cause I was, you know, I was still pumping and then trying to like train and do two jobs for a while. Um, it was just really stressful. And so I was coming home from work all the time being like, I didn't do anything at work. I was like, so distracted. I don't know what I'm doing in this new job. I'm failing there. And then I, you know, would stay an extra half hour to try to like learn this new job. And then I was like, oh, I picked my son up like later than I wanted to. I didn't put him first. I'm such a failure of a mom. And so I did that for probably like the first two months of this new job. I just felt terrible about everything. And then I was in the elevator going down to the cafeteria and one of the managers from that group stepped in next to me and he's like, Hey, you know, I haven't been able to catch you recently, but we're just so excited that we hired you and you're doing a great job. And like, we're just really impressed. And he got off and I was like, my jaw was probably on the floor. I was like, me, like, are you, are you kidding me? I've been failing. And it was that comment that I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'm not like, who's telling me that I'm failing. It wasn't anybody at work. My husband wasn't telling me that I was like, you know, gone at the office 15 hours a day. And it was a problem. Like I was the only person telling me that I was a failure. And I thought I was a failure because pre baby, if I was in a new job, I was, you know, I'm going to learn this job faster than anybody has. I'm going to add value right away. I'm going to kick butt at this new position. And just because I couldn't like transition into this new job in the same way that I did before, I was just automatically assuming that I was failing. Yeah. And so it was that outside perspective that was like, okay, if I leave at four o'clock, it's not that big of a deal. Like I'm still doing what's required of me. And so why am I making myself feel bad about this? And it was that outside perspective that kind of just spiraled me into this kind of identity crisis um, awareness that I realized that I was, I hadn't really figured out my identity. And then once I did, it totally changed my perspective on the boundaries and the separation between career and mom, but then also that like, I could be both. Yeah. What do you mean changed your identity? What do you, what do you think was really significant about that? It was really that moment of being like, what's telling me that I'm failing. And it was that whole idea of that before I measured my success by how many hours I worked, how quickly I got a project done, how much extra value I could add to a project. So I never really had the mindset that like, you know, just doing my job responsibilities was enough. I was always overachieving perfectionist. And that becomes really hard when you're a mom and strapped for time. So it was all of that. How did I define success before? And then that led to 
oh, I get a lot of value and fulfillment out of my career. Like I thought about all of my goals before I had a child and it was, I want to make, you know, X money. I want to have this title. I want to make money so that I can travel to this place. Like all of my goals were somewhat career related. And so then when you have a, a, a child and your priorities and your values are upended, it took me a while to realize that that's what had happened. Like I now have this conflicting value that, you know, corporate goals and parent goals don't necessarily complement each other. And so how do I either roll back my expectations on what a perfect good mom looks like or roll back my expectations of how quickly I'll get to these positions. Um, but it was just kind of redefining my goals so that it complemented my career because I realized how, how much fulfillment and how valuable that was. And then also made room for all of these, you know, if you call them goals or just things that I wanted to accomplish and ways that I wanted to be as a mom. Yeah. And then, you know, that probably took a full year to sort through. I really don't think that women, whether or not you're a working mom, I don't think that we give ourselves time to like fall into this new identity. Once you have a baby to take care of and another person, um, that's obviously going to take time to figure out how to do that and what that means for your life and what parts of your old life you want to add back or what parts of your old life you would love to add back, but like, you just can't do when you have a young baby. Well, um, bottom line just, is how can anyone shift their identity? You wouldn't believe how many women, and you probably hear from them too, come on this podcast and say, I went back to work after six weeks. When have you ever defined yourself or aligned yourself or you can't even work out for six weeks and see any change. Like yeah. six weeks is like a blip. So yeah. how can anyone possibly figure out how their life has changed in six weeks? I had 12 still, but I, whenever somebody says, oh yeah, it, six weeks. And I was back. I like, I don't, I don't understand that. I don't yeah. understand that. And the bottom line is, is that does not seem to be changing, especially in the corporate world. Yeah. Yeah. I had 12 weeks as well. And I cannot fathom any amount of time that's less than that. But even in that 12 weeks, it was like, you just kind of get to this point where you figured out this baby and like how to keep it alive. And then it's like, okay, well now let's send you back into this environment that doesn't support you. And uh, let's figure this out again. And let's figure out how you can still, you know, do what you did before, but with this other human life that you're trying to, to manage. Um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I could give you a thousand tactical things that you could try to do, but like, it's just gonna, it's gonna be hard. And there's nothing that you can do to ease that challenge until you've just kind of made it through that first year. Right. And things will naturally fall into place, but we need to give ourselves some transition time and some grace to just be like, you know, this is going to be hard. I can do hard things. There's going to be days, you know, maybe where drop-offs really hard and I cry for a couple minutes before I get to work and that's okay. That doesn't mean that I'm failing at either things. 
a phrase that I came across that helps me um, and has continued to help me through the pandemic is that not all emotions require action. So another thing that I used to try to do pre-kid was, okay, if I didn't get promoted or, you know, if I gained 10 holiday pounds, or if I did something in my life that I felt a certain way about, I could take active steps and fix it. You know, I could start working out. I could network more. I could get myself on a high visibility project. I could do things that made me feel like I was moving the needle to get away from whatever that negative emotion was. When you have a child that's going to daycare, that is getting sick all the time, requiring you to leave, there's really nothing you can do about that. And so you need to learn how to just sit with some really uncomfortable emotions. And up until that point in my life, I've never really had to do that. So I also had to learn how like things can just be hard and I can't do everything and I can't control that outcome. I just kind of have to sit in this hard spot for a while until it goes away. I really like that concept. And I feel like you're saying it much better than I was trying to express myself a couple episodes ago, because what I was trying to say was moms do this thing where we ask each other for tips. Like, what's your tips for getting my baby to do this? What's your tips for managing it all? What's your tips for? And I feel like that's such a lie that we tell ourselves that there's this magical tip that's out there waiting for us because the bottom line is what we're doing is wrong. We are executing it the wrong way. And if only we had this tip, if only we had this nugget, then we would do it the right way. And, and to me, I feel like that's the big lie, you know, that there's a tip and there's not a tip. And what you're saying is sometimes situations suck and sometimes you're going to be really uncomfortable, but it doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It just means that sometimes it sucks and you just got to charge ahead. Yeah. I mean, take the pandemic. I didn't think we would be (laughs) stuck in this for as long. And there's not, you know, there's been some really hard moments for my family throughout that. And I've kept that in the back of my mind too. Like this is just a really challenging time and I can't make COVID go away. I can't change our daycare policies about how long he has to be home when he's sick and all of those things. So like this week is just really going to suck. And it, it kind of takes some of that pressure off. Like you're saying to, to feel like you need to figure it out or that you're doing it wrong. And I think that's, that's really important because we really, I think we underestimate how much mental energy either like negative self-talk or that worry or that like, I'm doing it wrong. This is hard. It should be easier. It's unnatural that way. So much mental energy. And so when I got really clear about, I'm going to work because I want to, and my career adds value to my life. It cleared mom guilt. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still have moments. It doesn't go away completely, but I didn't have it to the level that it was impacting me. Like every second that I was at work. And then it was like, my mind was freed to think about, okay, I still want to add value at work. And then how am I going to do that? How am I going to become the most efficient employee ever? And then it was like easy to see, oh, well, I don't need to do this process anymore and I can do this. And then it was like, I kind of got back into my stride of how I used to work before because I had the mental capacity 
my mind was free from all of the spinning running thoughts. And I don't think we realize how impactful that is and that it takes up like precious brain space that's already limited when you have mom brains. So that's, that was another really big realization, um, that I came to. You also, um, wrote today about how the last year was about coming to term with some tough loss. Yeah. Can you elaborate a little bit on, on what that was like for you? Yeah. Um, so before my son is four and I had a miscarriage before him. Um, so I lost my first pregnancy and that was kind of like a shock and I never expected that to happen, but it was like, okay, this happens. I, I talked about it and I learned a lot of my friends and family had had things. And so then when I had my son and my, you know, healthy pregnancy and baby, I never expected that that would happen again. And so, um, we decided to try to expand our family in 2021 and I've had two recurrent miscarriages now this year. Oh, I'm sorry. And yeah, it's, I'm feeling more of like a true grief around it. And I don't, part of what my post was is, you know, miscarriage and and loss is such a different type of grief because some days I don't really even know what I'm grieving. Like, am I really grieving those pregnancies or those babies, or am I grieving that my life hasn't turned out? You know, I don't have my, my picture perfect family that I've been envisioning since I was 10. Am I grieving the thought that I might not ever have another child? Like, I don't know. And that's kind of been what's been really hard to process with these last couple of losses, because I never thought it would happen again. And to have two in a row is kind of, I mean, it's devastating, but it's also just really confusing because I don't know why this is happening. I like to find meaning in things and this is really hard to find meaning in. Yeah. And you expressed fear of even trying again, which makes total sense. Yeah. My last, I mean, the two pregnancies that I lost this year from the moment that I get a positive pregnancy test, I can't help, but think that it's going to end in a loss. And so to, to try to manage that anxiety and then to have it happen anyways, you know, and, and my last loss was around eight weeks and at that seven week mark, I, I felt like I had finally turned a corner where it was like, let it go. Like, you're going to be fine. You have all the symptoms um, and kind of gave myself a pep talk. And then a couple of days later, I was back in the same situation. And so to just truly have no control over your body, which you feel like in some ways you should be able to control is, is really hard. And we've done some, you know, initial testing and everything looks fine and normal. And so what does that mean for, for another pregnancy? Well, you posted about how, you know, we hear the statistic of one in four, you know, Mm -hmm. and in a lot of ways it's meant to help women feel not so alone, but statistics don't always make you feel that way. Do they? No, I took a lot of um, I don't know what the right word is that statistic with my first miscarriage gave me a lot of validation, you know, one in four that's high. (laughs) That's a lot. 
So when I was feeling lonely in that first loss, it was good to think, you know, this is something that people don't talk about. All of these women that are walking around, you know, that are pregnant or have multiple kids, you know, they might've experienced loss. It's common there, you know, I can't control it. It's okay. Um, I learned several of my family members and even like close family friends, you know, opened up to me about their experience. So there was a lot of validation in that number, but now that three out of four of my pregnancies have ended in a loss, that number feels unfair. That number feels like there's something even more wrong with me. Like why, why am I having loss at a higher rate than what's normal? Um, and then to know that there's, you know, not anything wrong with me, like that makes even less sense those statistics still sometimes are, are validating and sometimes they're, they're really hard to kind of hear and deal with. So, and that's, you know, something that changes day to day. And that's another thing I think with, with miscarriage loss and grief is things that make you sad one day, like don't the other. And some things that you think totally would never trigger you, have you like sobbing on the floor. It's just, it's complicated and it's never really gone. So I feel like it's just something that I've, I'm still very much immersed in, but I don't know if I'll ever truly get over. Do you have to? Do you have to no. get over it? Right. I don't, I don't think you do. Um, but I think that's part of what makes talking about miscarriage and the stigmas around it hard, because I feel like people expect you to get over it or they don't understand. I mean, sometimes, like I said, I don't understand what I'm grieving. So how can a person that's never gone through that understand what a pregnancy that, you know, you never knew the sex of the baby or happened quote unquote early, like people can't understand what that loss means. That's when you start getting comments that are, you know, well-intentioned, but really devastating as far as like, well, at least you can try again, or at least you have a, a healthy son, or at least, and it's like that there's such an uncomfort with grief in general, but I think especially around miscarriage grief, that it makes you feel like this long-term grieving, like, isn't appropriate. Like you, sh you yeah. should be moving on. You should be trying again. You're healthy. Things will work out. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've almost felt with these, these last ones, the longer that I've gotten away from the actual time that I miscarried, I feel less alone. You know, like I had people showing up, sending me flowers, doing things like right when it happened, which is awesome to feel that level of support, but we're coming up on the due date of, of my first loss this year. And nobody else is going to remember that day. And then if, you know, I, I think if I bring it up, are people going to think that I'm like still not over it? And is like, can we talk about this still? I don't, I mean, I, I shouldn't be thinking that way because it's not my job to like keep people comfortable, but no one else is going to know what that day means. Yeah, I understand what you're saying because I think there's a ton of power in talking about it. But yeah, there's always that internal voice. I even posted about um, my five-year-old's birth story. And I thought, how many people are going to go, God, it was five years ago, lady. 
so what, you know, and, and guess what? That person exists. That Mm -hmm. person exists, but you're not speaking to that person. You're speaking to the person who also had a loss this year. You're speaking to the person that also is facing a due day approaching. So it's like, who, who are you really speaking to speak to them, speak to yourself. Yeah. And that's what I've kind of leaned into, um, very recently the past couple of weeks is like, I'm not trying to suppress this grief anymore. I'm kind of living through it and living with it. And when thoughts come up, I'm saying them or, you know, I'm allowing myself to cry because I think part of what's been a challenge, you know, having a child already is that it's really easy to just get in the day-to-day grind of stuff and kind of oh yeah, I'm feeling sad, but I can't cry now. I shouldn't cry anymore. Like it's okay. And you kind of just push it all down to keep life moving. And I don't think that's been serving me. So I'm trying to, you know, do more intentional things to, to process what happened, to try to find ways to honor those pregnancies and to try to find ways that I can start trusting my body again, to get ready for another pregnancy and what that might entail. Does the corporate world support moms who are dealing with loss appropriately, or is there room for improvement there? uh, I think there's definitely room for improvement. One trend that I have seen though, is companies or even um, state governments like New Zealand, I guess, country governments, um, adding miscarriage to bereavement policies and allowing days off With my first two losses, I didn't tell anyone at work what was happening. Um, I just was like, I need to be out for a couple of days. I took vacation days. Um, One of them, I needed a a DNC. And so I was just like, oh, I need to have a procedure. You know, it's not major. I'll be back on Monday. Um, And I think that's part of the problem with the corporate culture because you know, how can they support me if I'm not even telling them what's happening? Uh, You know, I went back to work while I was still cramping and bleeding and Mm. two days post-surgery. And part of that was because I I felt like I needed a a distraction. Um, But with my my third one, it was more physically traumatic. Um, And I just, I couldn't, I, I got to a point where I was like, I can't pretend like everything's fine in a meeting when we're talking about, you know, a slide deck. And so I, I told my manager, you know, I, well, the, I, I was in the ER until late one night. And so I was just like, listen, I was in the ER until, you know, 1am I had a miscarriage. I need to be out for a couple of days. And she was very supportive. She was like, do not worry about anything at work take as much time as you need. And I actually ended up taking almost a, well, I took probably six days off in total. Um, And I needed that space. Some days I like rage cleaned, some days I didn't get out of bed, but to not have work on my mind for that time was absolutely huge. Yeah. Um, And I don't know, that's another thing with corporate, like that was my manager. I don't know if every manager would do that. There's not a standard policy that says if you experience a loss that you can take days off. There's, you know, 
she allowed me to take that time and she's like, do not record this. Like, this is not vacation. Like, don't worry about it. You know, she would text me here or there just for things that were due, but she took care of everything for me. But again, she didn't have to do that. Right. Corporate doesn't say <laughs> that that's how women should be treated. And I don't think a lot of women would even feel comfortable with their managers. And, and that's kind of why I didn't the first time because he was a male and I didn't know if I came to him and said, I can't work because I'm having a miscarriage. If like, I don't know, I don't know what his response would have been. It probably right. would have been, don't worry about work, but I don't know that. And I think that's part of the problem in, in what's lacking in the support is just, you don't know how people will react. And especially in a work environment, it's really hard to manage. Can I give you a little hot take? Yeah. This is my hot take. It annoys me very much that companies are giving dads paternity leave, not because mm -hmm. dads don't deserve it. Yes. But because I think it's another of the great lies where, well, well, see, now we give paternity leave. Moms, you still get eight weeks, okay? But now we're going to give dads the paternity leave. And aren't we doing just the most wonderful things for our employees when, when really I just feel like that energy needs to be directed towards women? And like, sorry if that's a hot take. But like, it just annoys me because I feel like that's putting a bandaid over the problem that doesn't exist. That's my hot oh, take. <laughs> I could go, I could go so many ways with this. Um, from what I've seen, because my company does offer paternity leave. As does mine. Yes. Um, for dual career couples, I think it's awesome. I think those are the people that you know, I know what it's like to go back to maternity leave. You better believe my husband is taking his full paternity leave and he's going to be with me. Like from the second I come out of the hospital and managing those really tough, like crazy times, or maybe like bridging the gap between when my leave is over and when like our kid would start daycare or whatever. Side note, when our company implemented the new parental leave, we missed it by less than a week. So my son came a week early and I was like, are you kidding me? We don't get this policy, but he was also nine pounds when he was born. So I feel like it was probably for the best that he came early, even if we didn't get paternity leave. But still like how stupid, Yeah, how stupid that it's like, but, well, the policy but, starts today. So yeah. <laughs> What I've seen though, is for men that have stay at home wives that have another baby, they're taking their paternity leave for a golf trip or a family trip to Disney or, uh, stuff that doesn't necessarily support mom in the time that she needs it. And so I think there should be like paternity leave and then the husbands need to, or partners need to come back with like a report card. That's like, I changed 100 diapers. Like I used this for what it was supposed to do to help my wife. So I think it is, it is something, or you have also people that are in positions that they feel like they can't take it, even if they want to. 
yeah, I actually have an idea for a podcast episode about um, fake flexibility and like fake policies. Mm-hmm. Like it's not enough to just have the policy. The parental right. leave policy sure looks good on paper, but if you don't have a culture that's using that and showing, you know, leaders that are taking paternity leave or managers that are encouraging people, you know, to take leave, then it's all, it's all fake. It's all for show. Exactly. As you're saying. Yeah. Okay. So another another fake policy ready for this. Okay. (laughs) The fake policy is yay. You had a baby. We have FMLA and all these things for you. It kicks in though, after 14 days, because you're going to, you're going to use your sick days for the first five. Okay. Um, And then actually, if you would, we're going to cover the rest of those days with your PTO. Yeah. um, So, so that's how we'll just kind of pad those things. And then we'd be happy to activate our very special benefits package for you on day 14. Mm -hmm. Another, another fake plan, because not only are you shoving your PTO and your sick days into this, um, you know, these, these weird padded times or what were they, that was called like a waiting period. Like, <laughs> I had a baby today. I'm not actually waiting. Yeah, but sure. Um, right. so, so we we're, we're, we're covering the waiting period with those days, but then when you come back and it's only the month of April, please enjoy not having any of those sick days available or any PTO remaining as we have shoved those kindly into your waiting period. Like another fake policy that when you have a baby on January 28th, when you return to work at the end of March, you now have nothing. You have Mm -hmm. nothing because you put it all into your baby vacation waiting period. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hypothetical situation. I, I, you know, absolutely hypothetical. Yes. Our company policy is, is different where it kicks in right away, but there is there is so much to, to be said about how women, you know, use their PTO, use their sick days to try to extend the period or, you know, just ways to make that time longer or more beneficial. Um, and then, yeah, in, in your instance, how unfair, you know, you, and then to, you know, how is that supposed to make you not feel guilty when your kid is sick or not put you in a position where you have to make a really hard choice when they are sick? It's very obvious to me that even with these policies and, you know, companies trying to make advancements at the end of the day, the corporate culture was made by men for men. And there has been no changes as women and especially working moms have come into this structure. And so if coming back from maternity leave feels super hard or going for a promotion feels extremely unnatural because you don't like talking about yourself or any of the 15,000 reasons, it's because it's made for a man to do that. It's not because there's something wrong with you. It's not because you can't do it all and you can't manage it. Like we're not supposed to be there. So the fact that there are working moms out there just kicking ass in their jobs, that should be even more empowering to us because we're doing that in a system that never expected us to be there. Yeah. Oh, good point. Keeping that perspective has helped me 
just keep a healthy boundary. You know, as I've grown my career with my son, like if I get passed over for a promotion, it's not because of something I did, or it's not because I have a child. It's because there are bias, there's societal conditioning, there's, you know, structures in corporate that value male traits. Um, it's not me personally. And so it's, it's really helped me not feel as crappy about myself yeah. <laughs> when stuff hasn't worked out or when it's just felt kind of circling back to that, like when it's just felt really hard, it's because it is. You do have to surrender to some of it. Yep. Are you ever worried about stuff you say on your podcast? Cause I am. Yeah. <laughs> With throughout COVID, more people have found out about <laughs> my podcast. So I do try, you know, I do try to keep it because at the end of the day, like a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about, and this is again, kind of circling back to our point, like it's not stuff that I've directly experienced. It's not that someone in my company has said, Hey, we don't support working moms. It's just this vibe that you get from society and from, you know, our own internal perspectives or expectations or whatever. So that's more of kind of what I try to talk about, because I think that's also the stuff that resonates with so many people, because you could be at a company that has a lot of working parents and leadership and good active policies, but you can still feel this way because there's this overarching like societal expectation. So I, I think I'm usually pretty good where I won't get in trouble, but yeah, there are sometimes, or I'll have like a candid conversation at work that, you know, I'll get fired up with someone. I'll be like, Oh, I'll put that on the podcast. You know, like I, I obviously can't say <laughs> what I want in this, you know, corporate HR town hall meeting. So I'll just make a note of that and then address it in the podcast to get my thoughts out. Jenny, where can people find you and listen to Career Mom Podcast? They can find me at my new website, which is careermompodcast.com. And then I'm also, I mainly am on Instagram at Career Mom Podcast. They can listen to my show anywhere that they listen to their podcast. Awesome. This was such a great conversation. Thank you I know, I love it. Yeah. We had a lot of opinions on this episode. I love conversations like this that go in depth into what really it's like to be a working mom, a corporate mom, a stay-at-home mom, an entrepreneurial mom. This is what this show is all about. Thank you so much for listening. Check out Jenny at Career Mom Podcast. We are at On A Mother Level. So please follow along. Tell a friend about the show. It helps out tremendously. I appreciate you very much. We're getting so close to 100 episodes, you guys. You've been listening to On a Mother Level. When it comes to parenthood, we can relate. You have been listening to the WQAD Podcast Network. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.